So if you would, uh, take your Bible. I'm going to get you just to start off with me uh, and go with me to Isaiah chapter 40. All right, I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 40. And then while you are turning to Isaiah chapter 40, let me just go back to Exodus uh, myself, and, and you can listen as I read two verses to you. Uh, Exodus chapter 3 is where we started last week. It's kind of the basis of, uh, of looking at the I am of God's word, which you're going to find out in a minute, uh, God himself declared to be the I am. And this is one of the passages in Exodus 3, while you're going to Isaiah 40, in Exodus 3 uh, is one of the the most well-known passages uh, where God himself declared that he is the I am, and that's what he is known by, the I am. And uh, and he always, it's it's an I am, present tense, always tense, it's because he always has been, he is, and he always will be. There's never a time when he is not. We'll see some of that in uh, Isaiah, even as he declares more uh, to Isaiah and even the children of Israel concerning himself. Um, you're going to find that uh, he over and over and over again uh, mentions that, uh, bef- I'll just give you a little hint, before man created any of their little gods, I already was is what God said. Before there were any other ideas of gods, before there were any other idols made into gods, I already existed, and I never have not existed. God himself declared himself, he said of himself, I am the I am. Now, that might seem weird to some in, in, in some ways as far as how we try to qualify things, but uh, all you got to realize is to understand what it means by I am, the I am, is to understand he is saying when people are looking for the who has been, who is, who was, who is going to be, all you got to look is one place. He says, oh, by the way, that's me. I am. I am he. I am the one. Um, and he always has been. So, I mean, Exodus 3, just verse number 13 and 14 says this. It's where Moses was speaking to God and God speaking back to Moses. God calling Moses to be the man he wanted to use to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. And, uh, and Moses not understanding how in the world God was going to do it with him. How are they going to listen to me? They're not going to believe me. Who am I going to say that sent me? Uh, listen to what Moses says. It says, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me uh, unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? And shall I, uh, what shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, so when they say, well, tell me the name of our God. What is his name? He spoke to you. What's his name? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am, period. By the way, I find it, uh, it, it it's, it's interesting um, when you talk about language, you talk about the English language, when you talk about grammar, yuck. But when you talk about grammar and things of that nature, um, when you see all caps on a regular basis, it's not just for emphasis emboldening for easy reading. It is there to emphasize uh, a, an emphatic, an automatic, it is a mandated, important, 
as many exclamation points as you could possibly make on it, that is why it's all caps. And when he said, I am that I am, every single one of those letters, I am that I am, all capital. When you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, we said it many times, but that is when in the English language, Lord in all caps means that in the Hebrew language, it was the definition of Yahweh or, or what we call Jehovah God. It is the ultimate explanation of God's name, Jehovah Yahweh. Matter of fact, in the, in the Hebrew tongue, it was written in a way that had an, it was practically impossible to pronounce or speak because it was such a holy name. It was the name of God. And when he says, I am that I am, he's saying Yahweh, Jehovah, that's me. A name that is practically unpronounceable. It's so far beyond us. And now again, in the Hebrew tongue, it'd be much easier to understand the emphatic because they made it impossible to even speak. As a matter of fact, uh, back in the day when there was actually reverence and respect to the name of God, um, even the, the priests, when they would write and record and and they would uh, make copies of the scriptures that they had as they would copy over uh, the, the scriptures because, again, I'm not trying to go too deep in on this, but just a reminder that uh, you don't have originals of original, you know, the, the actual, actual originals. They're so old, they would have disintegrated by now, and they know that. Everything tends towards disorder. Everything is going to be facing decay, and even that which you write on is going to decay, and so therefore, they had to have a way of preserving truth, and so the priests that were given the responsibility of knowing and, and, and keeping the word of God, the, 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 uh, the, the Jewish priesthood, Israeli priesthood, they had the responsibility of copying scripture constantly. But whenever they came to the name Yahweh, now, when they came to the name of the Lord God, the God, Lord, any of the mentionings of God himself in, in lower forms of mentioning, they would wash themselves to a degree. But when they came to the name Yahweh, Jehovah, the ultimate holy name of God, they would completely wash themselves, their clothes, wash everything. And before they even wrote the name of being copied over, before they wrote it down on whatever they were writing on, they would wash themselves. And even if that name was again in what we would call just a few verses later, even if it came up again, they would not take the washing that they had as good enough to write it twice. They would stop, they would go cleanse themselves completely and all that they wore cleaned again and come back and then write the name again. And every time the name of Jehovah, Yahweh God came up, they would would stop, cleanse themselves, and then write it. That's how much they reverenced the name of God. We don't quite have that same mentality anymore. But as we, we read here, he, God himself said, I am that I am. That's the name you give my people. That's who you tell them has sent you. So he sent Moses with that message. Now, looking over in Isaiah 40, 
And I'm going to have to move a lot faster than I'm moving now if we're going to get done with this. But Isaiah chapter 40, uh, look with me in verse number 1 through verse number 8. And uh, let, me, let me very quickly give you a, a, a bit of a background. As we examine the book of Isaiah, you find that throughout the first, I'm not going to go through all of it, we're just going to hit certain passages, but throughout the first two-thirds of this book, you see a few things that take place. You see the perils of a people who have forsaken God. Now, you see that numerous times. It's not just in the beginning part, um, but you see Isaiah himself, all, especially in chapter 5, saying, woe unto this person, woe unto the one that, that, that turns their back on God, woe unto him who lives, uh, and I, I'm paraphrasing, who, but who lives and thrives in, in their, their sin, woe unto them who are stiff-necked. And, and so Isaiah in chapter 5, it's just woe unto you, woe unto you, woe unto you. Isaiah chapter 6, you see Isaiah say, woe, woe is me. <laughs> Because he sees God and he realizes his message of woe unto mankind included himself. But you see the perils of a people who have forsaken God. You see the calling of a man of God to preach the message. And you see that message of warning that God wants delivered to his people. That's uh, through two-thirds of the book of Isaiah. You see all of that take place. In chapter 39... Just before the chapter we're in right now, but in chapter 39, uh, you read of the prideful decision of King Hezekiah uh, to show the servants of Babylon all his riches, which led to Isaiah's foretelling of the fall of Israel to Babylon. Sad thing is, Hezekiah, when, it, when he, he got the foretelling that all that you've shown Babylon, Babylon is going to conquer and take from you, which was everything. He said, I didn't leave anything out. I showed him everything. And Isaiah basically said, you're a fool. You prideful fool. You showed him everything as though you did this. God's the one that gave you this. God's the one that put this in your hands, and you think it's all you. And by the way, he's a little stuck on himself right now, Hezekiah is, in, verse, in chapter 39, because Hezekiah was near to death. He was going to die, and God spared his life and gave him a specific number of years that he would keep him alive. And Hezekiah, from that point forward, when he received his strength, went on uh, a prideful rule of, I'm untouchable, I can do whatever I want. He's a good picture, by the way, not the message this morning, but Hezekiah, uh, King Hezekiah is a good picture of any individual where God has blessed and they take the blessings of God and turn against him with it. But Isaiah is sent to tell Hezekiah, Babylon's going to take everything you have and Babylon is going to come in and they're going to they're put into captivity all of Israel. Your sons, your, your, all, 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 uh, your seed, every single person that, that comes in your family, every single individual that you know, all that you love, they're all going to go into captivity because of your pride. God's had enough. What does Hezekiah say? Y'all ready? Verse number 8 of 30, chapter 39 then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. He's fine with it. Oh, yes, God's word. Oh, that's good. Good is the word. And here's what he says. 
He said, moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. Isaiah told him, God sent me to tell you that when you're done and you're dead and you're out of here, all of Israel's going into captivity. And Hezekiah said, oh, well, that's good news because at least I know that as long as I'm alive, everything's going to be hunky-dory and fine. Who cares what happens to my children afterwards? How would you like to have that, Dad? But see, now that, that's what's happening in Isaiah all the way up to verse number, uh, chapter, chapter 40. But in chapter 40, God declares that it is a time to comfort his people. In this time of, of more comforting words, God reveals to them who he is as the I am. Now, they're going to go through the captivity. They're going to have some pretty awful time frames. It's going to get rough, but he wants Isaiah to comfort his people that I, I haven't forgotten you. I won't forget you. Look with me very quickly, verse 1 through verse number 8. Yes, we're still in the introduction. All right? Verse number 1 of chapter 40 in Isaiah. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. And cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And what he's saying is, you have received consequence. And God has poured out a double portion of consequence for your sin. Now he's speaking of the time frame later. But he's looking and saying, this is going to be the comforting time. Verse number three, the voice of him. Oh, by the way, mm, mm, <laughs> this is good. I, I, can't even, I, I, I can't even go into all of it, but, but this is good. Um, there is a mention of a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Mm. Go into the New Testament. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness is John the Baptist preparing the way for the Messiah. But listen to it in Isaiah, okay? The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, all capital Jehovah, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Woo-hoo-hoo. That's good. I mean, think about it. John, where did John spend his time? In the desert. He's the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And the Lord is all caps. So what's it saying? Jehovah God came to be robed in flesh. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. There's coming a time. Comfort my people. There's coming a time. I'm sending hope. I'm sending help. I'm sending the Savior. And you got to prepare the way. Make straight that way. Hey, there is only one way. Mm, I can't. Get, that's next week. Okay, uh, can't get into that. But there's there's one way. He said, "Hey, prepare you the way. Here's the hope. Here's the comfort. And get ready. The voice of that one cry in the wilderness. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God." Verse number four. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, cry, and he said, 
What shall I cry? All flesh. Now, here, here's the desperation. Here's the, the downtrodden uh, aspect of it all. All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people, his grass. What he's saying is, <laughs> Lord, have you not seen how bad things are? We're like the grass. We're, we're, we done, it's kind of like winter time. All the grass, there, there's very little green grass. Thank the Lord for that because I'm tired of cutting it. But th- th- it looks dead. It, it looks distraught. It, I mean, honestly, right now, especially with the rain, uh, we got an area over there by the house that, you know, vehicles constantly, we, we back up on or anybody coming to the house pulls on. And we have a whole area. No matter how much you try, the grass won't grow anymore. It's been beat. It's been run over. It, it's pretty much a mud pit right now. The one little area right off the side of the driveway. And it just because it just it constantly getting worked over all the time. And, and that's, that, that's what Isaiah is saying, Lord. It's like the, the flowers and the grass. And we're, we're like that right now. We're dead. We're beat. We're tired. We're nothing. As a whole, we're, it's like we're fading away. What is there to say? What am I going to cry? What am I, I going to proclaim? I mean, we've had about all we can take. It's almost over. Okay, but look at, um, at uh, verse uh, number eight it says the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. What he's saying is the, the, the flower fadeth, okay? The grass is going to wither. You feel like the flower and the grass, but it's not, it's not on you to bring hope. It's on God. He brings the hope. He tells, basically, looking at Isaiah, and Isaiah, what am I going to say? And I just give you the simple nature of it. He said, Isaiah, you have nothing to say. Isaiah, you have nothing to give. I will give you what to give because only I can bring that which stands and lasts forever. Only I can speak that which will not fade and go away. But the Lord said, and he tells him in, in this, this whole leading, we're going to get into chapter 41 in a minute, where he begins to speak of the I am. But I, I'm building that case of understanding that he tells Isaiah, it's time to comfort my people. It's time to speak to my people. And then he gives a, a foretelling, a, a, a little bit of, a, of a, 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 a head look at what is to come in speaking of, again, not telling you exactly what's happening, but we look back from the New Testament and we look back to the Old Testament, we see Isaiah speaking of it. And then you go to the New Testament, you see the same mentioning of John the Baptist being a, as a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. And you look back to Isaiah, it's like, wait, hey, that's almost word for word. How interesting. God's given Isaiah a glimpse of what's coming way in the future. And he says, comfort my people. With what? I'm sending my son. And he's going to be the hope of all mankind. He's going to be your help. And by the way, it says, prepare you the way of the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And he's saying, I'm sending my son. And he is Jehovah God, robed in flesh. What more comfort would man need than to know that Jehovah God was born 
to walk with man, but for the purpose of bringing hope to mankind by his own personal sacrifice. Now, let me pray very quickly. Ask the Lord to help us in three simple points to get done in a timely manner, all right? It's almost 12 o'clock now. I'm gonna try to hurry, but this stuff is good, and I hate to miss anything, but we're gonna move as fast as we can with it, and we'll see God in three ways, the I am in three ways here in Isaiah. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Would you take this time, help us to see these things clearly. Lord, I pray that it'd be exciting to us, helpful to us, encouraging to us, as you meant these truths to be comforting to your people Israel, but also, Lord, comforting to those of us of today. You gave us your word. Your word stands. Your word never fails. Your word lasts forever. And Lord, this same hope that you were speaking of to Israel is the same hope that we as mankind today can hold to, and that is the hope in Jesus Christ. Would you help us, Lord, to see these truths as to what you declared of yourself being the I am. And we'll give you the honor and glory for it all in Christ's name. Amen. Very quickly, chapter 41. Go with me to chapter 41. Just uh, verse 1 through verse number 4. Um, in all of this, and he spoke and we read there. And again, I know you can go back. I encourage you, go back and, and read Isaiah 40 uh, all the way through uh, pretty much the end of the chapter. You could do that. It'd be encouraging to you to see all these things in light of all that is said. But I don't have time to do all of that. Um, but understand, in verse number eight, we just read, the grass, grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So what word that was he about to give Isaiah to give to the children of Israel about himself? Well, in chapter 41, verse one through four, we see uh, God declaring himself to be, I am. And he's the I am that's in control. In verse number 41, keep silence before me, O islands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near, uh, then let them speak. Let us come near together to judgment. Who raised up the righteous man from the east, called him to his foot, gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings. He gave them as the dust to his sword and as a driven stubble to his bow. He pursued them and passed safely, even by the way that he had not gone uh, with his feet. Now, he's describing the calling out of one a righteous man, he's describing the, the, the time frame when God was creating for himself a particular people, Israel, God's chosen people through Abraham and, and all that was gonna take place and how God promised that he will go before them and he will take care of them and he will lead them if they will follow him. And he's going through all of this in a very condensed way. You read more of these chapters, you'll find more and more and more where he speaks of the works that he's done. But look in verse number four. He said, who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning and here he is, I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. What he's saying is, who's in control? Me. I am in control. 
I am the one who directs. I am, may I say, and we'll see it more in a minute, but I am the creator of all things. I am the caller of all that is good and right. I am the guide of all that will follow. I am he who is in control and is never out of control. You say, well, it sure doesn't look like God is actually in control. It looks like Satan's in control of this world today. Satan does nothing that God does not allow him to do. And I know some people say, well, prove that. Don't have time to go into all, but go back to the book of Job. It's the easiest one. And Satan said, yeah, I've seen him. Yeah, I want to deal with him. Yeah, I want to go ahead and and hurt him, but I can't touch him because you got a hedge about him. And God said, okay. You can take anything that is his, anything he has, but you can't touch him personally. So Satan does. Takes all of his wealth and his children. Then he comes back and he's, he, he's causing problems again. And, and God looks and says, hey, has, has thou considered my servant Job? He said, yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know. I'm paraphrasing again. All right. He said, yeah, but here's the thing. I, I took his stuff and I took his children and he, I know he didn't curse you and all that kind of stuff. He didn't turn his back on you, but I know. But you let me touch his health. You let me touch him physically and he'll turn on you. You watch. Why did Satan have to do that? Because he could not do a thing on his own without God's approval and allowance. Uh, people say, well, this is Satan's world. No, this is still God's world. It's just Satan's tainting of God's world. This is my father's world. It is still his. Satan didn't create it. He polluted it, but he didn't create it. Satan's goal is to mess up everything God creates. Do you know there's not one thing that Satan created on his own? Everything he has ever done is a copycat. He has no genuine ideas or thought of his own. Everything Satan does is a mere twisted version of God's truth. Because Satan always starts with a speck of truth and then twists it and pollutes it. Because that speck of truth is what draws people in, but they ignore the rest of the lie that causes the pollution. You know, if we, if we actually thought we'd get in trouble, we wouldn't do dumb things. So why do we do things we shouldn't do? Because for some reason, we believe a small little speck of truth that not everybody can know everything. They can't catch everybody. I'm going to be the one that, that gets away with it. Right? Actually, that went over like a brick wall. But here's the thing. God is in control. Satan couldn't touch uh, uh, um, uh, Job without God's permission. Nothing in this life can touch you without God's permission. We said it before. Either, either God himself sends it or God himself allows it. But regardless, it goes through his hands. Then why would he do that? Because God knows better than me and God knows what it is he's trying to accomplish. My job is to trust the one who's in control. 
he points out here in chapter 41, and he just says, who did all this? Who did all this? Who brought him out? Who, who, who led and saw victory? Who gave this? And who, who presented that? And who laid out all these? Who basically uh, uh, defeated the enemies? And, and who gave all the blessings? Who is it that does all this? Who is it that directed all this? Who is it that puts it all together? I am he. God said, I am the one who is in control. So he's telling the children of Israel, all this horrible and all these things, these hard things that you're going through, you understand, I've never lost control and I've never lost sight of you. I've been in control of how much hits you. I've been in control of how heavy it hits you. I've been in control of how long it hits you. And I've been in control of when it stops. He said, take comfort in the fact I am he who directs and controls all things. Now, Satan's doing his best to mess it all up. But God has never lost control. Then you look in verse number, uh, chapter 41, look at verse number 8 and verse number 10. There's ooh, several here. Verse number 8 through verse number 10 here is, here is some, some comfort. This is what we really like to, to hone our comfort in on right here. And is, he is the I am that is with thee. Uh, look at, at verse 8 through verse 10 of, of chapter 41. But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend, Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called thee from the chief men thereof and said unto thee, Thou art my servant. I have chosen thee and not cast thee away. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness." By the way, the right hand of God's righteousness does not weaken whatsoever. Therefore, when he says, I will uphold thee, and he describes in what manner he will uphold us, and he describes the right hand of his righteousness, he is telling us, I'm holding you up with, a, with the arm that cannot fail. I'm holding you up with the arm that will not falter. I'm holding you up with, with the arm that is stronger than you are and the ability that, has, that is beyond your ability. It is my righteousness. It is my hand. It is in my strength, and I will not fail. You can go on. He says, so I, I am with thee. Look at verse number 13 and verse number 14. It says, for I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, and I love this right here. Uh, this is pretty much the best way to describe all of us. Fear not, thou worm, Jacob. What he's just saying, think about it. We are more like a worm. Helpless, fairly pathetic, feeling like you've been, been uh, uh, pushed onto a hook and you're squirming like crazy. You ever felt like Satan was just wriggling you on that hook to throw you out and half drown you? By the way, God hasn't lost track. And he's saying, I am, I am the help. But he says, fear not, thou worm Jacob, 
And ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer. I am the Lord, Jehovah God, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. He's making sure there's no doubt who it is that's telling them, I will uphold you. I will be there. I will help you. Uh, look at uh, uh, chapter 43. Go to chapter 43. We're going to do a forward and then back here in just a moment. But chapter 43, look at uh, verse number one. Man, there's so many good passages here. Um, 43, verse number one. And it says, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, uh, they shall not overthrow thee. When, oh, 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 by the way, this is really good too. I saw somebody post this the other day and then I just happened to be in this passage for this morning. And, uh, and it, is, it is interesting. I'm gonna show you in a minute. It is very interesting that very possibly God is about to give a, a forewarning of what is to come for three particular individuals in the book of Daniel. He says, thou, uh, when, uh, when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. You go over to, to Daniel chapter 3 and, and, and verse, uh, y'all stay there. I'm just going to go real quick. Daniel 3 and uh, verse number 26 and 27. Listen to what the Bible says about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were cast in the fiery furnace, verse number 26 and 27, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, ye servants of the most high God. Funny, he knew exactly who it was they followed. Come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire, and the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was any hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Interesting when God tells them that when uh, he speaks to them that passes through the waters, I will be with thee and through the rivers, uh, they shall not over, uh, overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Very interesting that he's possibly giving prophecy of one day that would happen to three who would stand for him in the midst of a wicked nation. He says, for I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Sheba uh, for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and the south, uh, keep not back, bring my sons from afar my daughters from the ends of the earth every verse number seven and eight for every, every one that uh, is called by my name 
uh, for I, I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. All of this, it, the Lord is saying, listen, I'm the one that is, that is with thee. I am in control and I'm not gonna leave you. I, 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 I am there promised to, to keep and protect and watch over. You might go through things that might make you question that, but just because you can't see me doesn't mean I'm not there. Just because you can't feel me in the moment doesn't mean I'm not there. Just because the fire gets hot doesn't mean I'm not there. You know, just because it feels like you're about to drown with the water over your head doesn't mean I'm not there. I'm still there. The only reason you can even get part of the way through it is because I'm already there. If you're going to make it all the way through, it's not going to be you. It's going to be me because I am the I am that is with you. That's what God's declaring for Israel. You see that over, and I'm going to give you several more passages. Just you know, Hold on. Haggai 2.4 says, uh, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, uh, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, uh, for the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Uh, and then, by the way, let's go to some New Testament, right? Uh, and, and get us in the picture here very specifically. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 and 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even under the end of the world. And by the way, uh, those are all in red letter, Jesus speaking, and, but I love how it ends in Matthew. It's in black letters, but it is the final word of amen. So as it's being penned, and as the Holy Spirit is giving Matthew uh, the, the direction of what to write for God's people to read and see and have the word of God for themselves, he is recording what Christ himself said, and Matthew said, amen. What that means is, so be it. That's right. It's an agreement to truth. Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. Oh, that one hurts us today. For he hath said, who's the he? The I am. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We have a promise from God. He is the I am that is with thee. Lastly, gotta be done there's more scripture in this last one than I even possibly have time. But go with me to uh, look at chapter 42. If you're in Isaiah, chapter 42, look at verse number five. And here is the culmination of it all. He tells them, I am the I am that is thy God. But he says it in a very specific way to let them know that he's a jealous God. By the way, Jehovah God has every right to be a jealous God. We're not talking about man's fleshly jealousy. We're talking about a God who is holy, who's in control, who's the creator of all things, who has the right to say, it is mine, not yours. God does not share his glory. He does not share his praise. 
when man begins to steal the praise and the glory for those things which God is doing, God does not take it lightly. You say, how do you know? He said it. Watch. Isaiah 42, 5 through 9. Thus saith God, the Lord, Jehovah God, all caps, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison and then that sit in darkness out of the prison house. By the way, you could reference that over to, to Acts uh, where it talks about and to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and the power of Satan unto God. That's what he's talking about. He's telling Israel, I'm gonna use you and through my people Israel, I'm gonna bring the light of the world. Who is that? Jesus Christ. And it's not going to just be the hope of Israel. He's going to be the hope of the Gentiles as well. Interesting, it's already declared in Isaiah. Uh, go, to, go with me, Isaiah 43. Look at verse number 10 uh, uh, very quickly. Isaiah 43, verse 10. He says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he, before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, Jehovah God, Lord. And beside me there is no, he doesn't say there is none other. There is no else. By the way, he says those type of terms in other, other places. But he says this, and beside me there is no Savior. Hmm. Again, next week, I am the way, the truth, the life. Jesus Christ himself, Jehovah God in flesh said, I am the way, the truth, the life. There is no other savior. Verse number 12, I have declared and have saved and I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore, ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Yea, before the day was, I am he. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? In other words, who's going to stop? Thus saith the Lord, uh, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I have sent to Babylon and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans whose cry is in the ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your king. What is he saying over and over and over and over and over again? I am God. I am the only God. I am Jehovah, holy God. I am the holy one of Israel. I am your God. There were no gods before me. There's not going to be any gods after me. All of man-made gods are, are, are pathetic. They don't, they don't exist in reality. It's just figment of man's imagination trying to get rid of me. I am God. He's declaring and telling them, before you brought any strange gods amongst your midst, you only had me and you know you are a witness that I'm all you had and all you needed, but you decide to bring other gods into your midst that are not even gods. They're, fi they're, they're a fiction of imagination. 
Uh, go with me very quickly, um, Isaiah 44, right there, chapter 44, verse 6 through verse 8. It says, verse number 6 in chapter 44, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And who, as I, shall call and shall declare it and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them, Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Even God himself said, I don't know of any other gods. I'm the only one. He declared it. It is. One more passage, Isaiah 45, uh, chapter 45, verse 18. Isaiah 45, 18. Now we're dealing with, I am thy God. I am the one, I am to be your God. I am the only one that you are to have. There is no other gods. And he's telling Israel, he's telling them, listen, I am the one in control. I am the one that promises to be with you. And therefore I am to be your God. Isaiah 45, 18 through 23 says this, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it in the, uh, to, to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, Seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together. Ye that are escaped of the nations, they have no knowledge that set up the wood uh, of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them near. Uh, yea, let them take counsel together who hath declared this from ancient time, who hath told it from that time. Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me. I just, uh, sorry, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. Uh, I'll read verse number 23. I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. In other words, it's not, it's, it's not going to be taken back. That unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Or in other, in other words, uh, where we hear in other passages, every tongue, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can go, we're not going to, but you can go to Isaiah chapter 46, 48, 49, 51, 52. And over 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 again, he says, I am he, I am he, I am he, and I need to be done. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the one who is in control. He is the one who promises to be with us, and he is to be our God. My question simply this morning is, is Jehovah God, the God of this book, the only God that exists, not man-made, God himself declared? Is he Lord of your life? Is he king on the throne of your life?
He told Israel, I'm going to help you. I'm going to uphold you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm always going to be in control. But you've got to let me be your God. You have to make me. I am your God. He said, I'm a jealous God. I am not going to share my praise. I am not going to share my glory. And I'm not going to let you do what you want and then just bless you in spite of it. I am a jealous God over that which is right and true and righteous. And I want to make within you, I want to place my righteousness. And I want to do a work in every single individual of mankind. I want to do a special work that where God is, there I can be also personally. And I can walk with him and he can walk with me. I can talk with him and he can talk with me. And though one day, though right now I do not see him face to face, there is coming a day when that which is faith will become sight. And that sight is me being able to see the one, the great I am, that is visible in Genesis, visible in Isaiah, and the next Sunday we'll see visible through Jesus Christ himself in the book of John. But he is the I am. Always was, always is, always will be. He'll never not be. He is the I am and there is no other God. But is he your God? personally if you don't know god personally well i know of him doesn't work bible says you must know him how do i do that i'd love to explain that to you in more detail we're done for this morning with all this but if you don't know christ as your personal savior if you don't know where you're going to spend eternity based off of the bible then that's your first step what does the bible say that's all that matters. God himself declared himself to be the I am. All you need. I am it. Will you follow me? That's what God asks. Heavenly Father, we thank you.